Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be talking about the parable of the mustard seed. The parable of the mustard seed, Mark 4, 30-32. And we've been doing this series on Jesus' parables here in Mark. And he, he was preaching a sermon on the parables. We did the parable of the sower and the seed and all these different parables we were doing. And this is his last sermon in this, I'm sorry, his last parable in this sermon that he was preaching by the lake, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee. Whenever he, sometimes they call it a lake, sometimes it's a sea, it's actually a lake. Uh, and he's, he's telling another farm story here, which is perfect because I just got back from the farm. All right, perfect timing, perfect timing. I just got back from the farm with the seven youngest last week, last Saturday got back. The seven youngest, and it went pretty well. Nobody got sick, uh, nobody got sick this time, although Emily did get homesick. In fact, she was crying, she missed mom. Emily, who's um, five, 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 five. Six, is she six? Six, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jenny, thank you. Six, six. Uh, listen, I know their names, I'm happy. I can remember their names. So. Uh, that's wonderful. So anyway, the she's six and she was homesick and and she was crying at night and little D who is how old? Uh, four, four. Thank you, Jenny. Uh, she's four, and and she, little D last year when she went she was crying real sad, but this time she was like with the big girl and she said to Emily, she says, "That's okay, Emily. When I was little, I used to miss mom too." So, <laughs> they thought that was so funny, and. Uh, the kids had a blast. We were on the hay bales, and my dad had a rope, and they were swinging on these ropes. It was crazy. We were in the woods, and we had fires going, and, and everybody had their fires. The girls' fire, the boys' fire, my fire. And we had bottles. We found all these bottles. So you have to come see the bottles. The bottles, they, we brought back bottles and the poison ivy they brought back because the bottles were in poison ivy. But anyway, that's another story. And, uh, and so the bottles, though, we found all these cool bottles, Coke bottles and milk bottles. And you have know, to come over and go see the bottles. But Chicky... Found, we found one bottle, Chicky found it, with a little mouse skeleton in it. Because a mouse had crawled in and couldn't get out of the bottle, and you know what happened. So anyway, there's a, so she brought it back, and it's sitting in her room in the, in the bottle. And she tells everybody, when I was away, Mom didn't feed my hamsters. And there's one of them. So, so that's what she's telling everybody. And uh, they wanted to bring it back a kitten. We didn't bring back a kitten, but they want to bring back a kitten. And they kept trying to talk me into it, and Kim likes kittens. That's the one animal we probably could bring back, and she wouldn't be too upset to add to our menagerie at the zoo, the Wilson Zoo. But the, the, they couldn't catch them. They couldn't catch the kittens because they're wild. You know, if you don't catch kittens and pet them when they're little, they get kind of wild, you know, feral or whatever they call them. And so they kept saying, they're so cute, Dad. you got it so cute. Well, let's bring one. I said, well, first catch one because I didn't really want to bring one back, right? I said, first catch one. If you can catch one, we'll talk about it. They couldn't catch one. But, but Dad, you could catch one. You could catch one. So they're so cute. So I finally caught one. I had gloves on. It was dig, scratching and digging and clawing. And I held it up. And they said, see how cute it is? And it was like, you know? It was like a zombie cat. You know what I mean? That's what I looked like. I said, I'm not taking this home. You know? And I, you know, we did not bring a cat home. So... But we get there, and there's no pumpkins. This was traumatic. My, we were so excited. They always, we always go out and pick the pumpkins. That's like the big deal. We pick the pumpkins, put it in the wagon, the squash, and we drive it back. And there's a smokehouse. We put all the pumpkins. My dad, we didn't get any pumpkins. We're all sad. I, this, things are not the same anymore, you know. There's no more loads of corn. We just played in the empty wagon. There, there was no 
sheep in the cattle in the stalls and sheep in the pens. You know that verse. Get grapes, grapes on the vine. You know, Habakkuk. Anyway, so none of that was there. And, uh, but we were walking past the garden and Andrew goes, something orange in the weeds. And all the weeds had grown up. My, since I'm not there to weed, things aren't the same on the farm, right? So there's, you know, my, he saw orange and he looked in, there was a pumpkin. And Andrew goes, there's pumpkin. There's more pumpkins. And they went in, there's all these pumpkins in the weeds. Now, they weren't great looking pumpkins. They're on our steps now. They're just kind of okay pumpkins. But, but they're pumpkins, and they're pulling them all out, and they pull out all these old peppers they found in there, and they were eating those. And they're having a great time finding all these pumpkins. And so it was really exciting. We got, went and got the wagon and took the ten pumpkins on the wagon. And uh, we could have carried them real easily, but they had to drive the wagon, right? And then, then there was some corn standing there, too, and they started picking the corn, and it turned out it was Indian corn. You know, it wasn't just plain old corn. It was Indian corn. So they were, Indian corn, Indian corn. They were really exciting. Pumpkins and Indian corn. And we, they were so excited because they were surprised by what wasn't supposed to be in the garden. And we're going to look at a surprising growth story, a surprising farm growth story here in Mark chapter 4 today. Let me start with prayer. Father, we thank you for bringing us all together today. It's so great to see so many old friends and young friends, and it's, it's just great to be together worshiping and uh, thinking about you and praising you, and just pray now that as we get into your word that your spirit would speak to us. You brought us here for, together for a reason, for your word, and pray that your spirit would speak to us, whatever you want to bring to our hearts, each one of us individually. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Mark chapter 4, the last parable... And it starts out, I'll read it to you. Wait, I'm in Matthew, hold on. I'm on the parallel passage. Mark 4. And again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when, the plant, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. Now, Jesus is making a positive and a negative point with this parable. We're going to start off with a positive today. If you want the, the, the negative part, you've got to come next week when he puts a warning out about the growth here. But he's, this, is, this is the positive focus I want to deal with today, and that God's kingdom, the church of Jesus Christ, will grow in an amazing way. It's going to be supernatural. It has been supernatural. That, that's what he's teaching here. And he uses a mustard seed to illustrate this. The, it's not the smallest seed in the world. They're smaller seeds, but it's the smallest seed used in Palestine by farmers and gardeners of that time, the smallest one they had. It was a traditional symbol of being small, tiny. You remember the old kung fu, ah, grasshopper. Well, when they translated that show, they said, ah, oh, mustard seed over in Israel. You know, that's what they did with it, right? Because it's, it's that traditional tiny picture here. It's a small seed they had. And this tiny seed could grow up to 10 feet tall in the garden or in the field, wherever it was planted. That's why in Matthew 13, 31, there's a parallel passage, which we're going to look at a little bit next week, too. But in the parallel passage, he says, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants. It becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Each of the different gospel writers bring out a little bit of different of, of an emphasis. The Holy Spirit was speaking in a different way through each of them. But he, he, not only was it a, a garden plant, but it actually calls it a tree there. And it was what we would call a large bush today. A large bush. 
and it was like a small tree, and the birds would nest in it and be in the, in the, in the bush. So the smallest seed that the farmer plants here in Israel, the smallest one becomes the largest plant in the garden or the field. And Jesus is teaching a very important truth here, that the church of Jesus Christ would have insignificant beginnings, but the growth would shock the world. Look what happened. Jesus is born in a barn. Christmas is coming up. Not too long, right? How many days? My kids know. So uh, the, he's born in a barn. He lives in this backwater of Galilee. That's like, you know, the hicks, you know, the sticks. That's where he grew up. You know, that's where he lived. That's where he grew up. He shows up. He picks 12 rejects for his, the, his apostles who are going to run his new religious organization, these 12 rejects, right, uh, to lead this new movement. Then he goes out and gets himself killed. It's not exactly a great way to start a new religious movement, right? Although we know Jesus wasn't starting a religion. He was doing something about a relationship, right? Even after the resurrection, even after he came back alive, 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says there's still only 500 believers, even after the resurrection. So then Jesus, after the resurrection, 40 days later, he ascends up into heaven. He says, I'm going to send a helper. The Holy Spirit's going to be coming. Instead of just Jesus being in one place, the Holy Spirit can be everywhere at the same time. God's Spirit everywhere at the same time. And the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 comes at Pentecost. Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down. An amazing thing happens to the church. Goofy Peter. Remember Goofy Peter? The guy was hiding. The people, you know, guy sticking his foot in his mouth all the time. The guy hiding. You know that big, tough Peter? He was a big wimp, right? Goofy Peter preaches this super sermon. And 3,000 people be become Christians on the spot. That's a pretty good altar call, right? Billy Graham would even envy that one. Uh, the, the rest of the book of Acts is an incredible story of church growth. There's no, it's, but it's not the way, it's an amazing story, but it's not the way that church growth experts would write it up. You go to the church growth expert seminars and they tell you how to, to get a, start a church and grow a church and how to reach people. This is the exact opposite of what they teach in these, uh, these seminars, which is why I don't go to them anyway, by the way. But, uh, but it, it, you read the book of Acts, and the, God uses persecution, and people are being persecuted and killed and, and all kinds of terrible things in prison, and through the persecution they are witnessing in the midst of this persecution, and people are falling out of the trees to become Christians. They're just like flocking because like, wow, this is for real. These people are being killed, and they're still following Jesus. He must really be alive. There's really something to this. Amazing what happened. Church history is more the same. In fact, in the first couple hundred years, the, 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 they said the world was turned upside down through this formula of persecution and witnessing and people coming to Christ. It was powerful. In fact, it, it looked like the, the the Great Commission was going to be fulfilled within a very, very short time. But something negative happened to stunt the church's growth, which we're going to talk about next week. If you want to know what happened to stop this, and I'll give you a hint, it's in this parable. You can see it in the parable. I'm not going to tell you, you've got to come back next week. Anyway, but we're going to stick to the positive today. But God's kingdom, could, in spite of what happened, God's kingdom continued to grow and still continues to grow. In the 1500s, the church was revived by the Reformation when people went back to the word of God. That's what the Reformation was really about, going back to the word of God, the words of Jesus himself as the authority. 
uh, and the way to be saved and the way to live and the way to have a relationship with God. And then in the 1700s, a couple hundred years later, the Great Commission got back on track with the birth of the modern missionary movement. That started in the 1700s. It's hard to imagine now that there used to be no missions for hundreds of years, but there, there wasn't. It had come to a screeching halt. But then in God's formula for church growth through this whole missionary movement, the formula was still the same as the book of Acts. It was persecution. Persecution. That was the formula. In fact, if you have been reading your one-year Christian history book, remember we gave that out in January? If you've been reading your one-year Christian history book, in July 4th, it was a great story that illustrates this. We use a lot of different stories from this. But this is another great story to show how God's formula for church growth is still in play. 1928, July 4th, this is a story from that book. In 1928, the Sudan Interior Mission sent the first missionaries to the Walamo tribe of Ethiopia. It was a difficult task because the entire tribe were Satan worshipers. In fact, the wealthy members of this tribe were slave owners also and if a slave owner decided his slave had enough children all further babies born to them were buried alive that's not much different from our country is it 1935 italian troops under mussolini invaded uh so start of world war ii the mussolini invaded uh, ethiopia here the italian army advanced into the tribal areas demanding that the all the missionaries leave when the missionaries had first arrived, there were no believers in the tribe. Now, nine years later, there were 48. That is a failure of a church plan, I would say, wouldn't you? What is God? They must have done a lot wrong here, right? 48 people in nine years? The next day, the Italian army trucks took the 26 missionaries for evacuation. As the trucks pulled away, the missionaries wondered if they would ever be able to return and what they would find if they did. With the missionaries gone, the Italians tried to stamp out the fledging church. Many church leaders were given 100 lashes and one was given 400 lashes. Three of them died. Toro, a leader of the church, was able to stay in hiding for six months before he was finally caught. He was given 40 lashes. Then a, an Italian officer wearing hobnailed boots jumped up and down on his chest, nearly crushing his ribcage. Later, as he lay immobile in his prison cell, he saw a vision of Jesus who said to him, Do not be afraid. You are my child. After a slow recovery... Toro was released from prison only to be arrested again when he resumed preaching. This time, he and other church leaders were taken to the marketplace stripped naked and each was given more than 100 lashes. Back in jail, Toro's Italian captors taunted him saying, where is the God who can deliver you from us? You will never get out of here alive. Hardly able to speak, Toro whispered that God would deliver him if he chooses and if not he has promised to take me to heaven to be with him there sounds like the book of acts doesn't it later toro and his fellow believers were praying when a fierce thunderstorm descended upon the prison the gale force winds literally blew the roof off torrents of radar 
water separated the mud walls from the foundation, most of the non-Christian prisoners escaped. The frightened jailers were convinced that the storm had come in answer to the prisoners' prayers. Ask your God to withhold his anger, they begged Toro, and we will release you. They kept their word and released him. Acts 16. Finally, on July 4th, 1943, the missionaries were able to return to the Walamo. During the six years they were gone, the 48 believers had multiplied to 18,000. I'm going to start a new church growth seminar. How to really grow a church? Get yourself persecuted. That's how God works. We've shared these stories of China and so many different things. That's how God works. Every nation on earth has now been reached. But now the aim is for every people group and every language to be reached with the gospel for the Great Commission. And it's possible in our lifetime. It's possible in our lifetime. Hopefully some here will help fulfill it. Some of you here will help fulfill that. We all have a point part in this, don't we? That's why we adopted a people group. And that's why we've, we're focusing on this adopted people group. I can't say who it is because of security reasons for them, but we're focusing on them as a group, as a church. And it would be easy to say, hey, we're just this little church. We can't make a difference in world missions. But you know what? We can. And we are to this one tribe. And the fruit we're seeing there is amazing. They're seeing way more converts than we see. We get, we're getting a lot of bang for our buck with our adopted group, aren't we? But we can make a difference in the Great Commission. Amazing fruit. They're our mustard seed. That, that unreached people group, that adopted tribe is our mustard seed. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is the Great Commission. I hope you know this. I hope you haven't memorized, but I'm going to read it again. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission, that's what he gave to the apostles, that's our commission today for the world, is our commission here in New Hope. New Hope, wherever you live, wherever you go to school, it's where, that's our commission. And the Great Commission will be fulfilled. It's a promise in Scripture. It will be fulfilled. In fact, it must be fulfilled before Jesus comes back again. It ha- Did you realize that? It has to be fulfilled before he comes back again. In fact, in Matthew 24, 14, it says... Jesus, talking about the end time, says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You want Jesus to come back soon? A lot of you say to me all the time, I can't wait for Jesus to come back, can't wait, I can't wait, we all can't wait, right? Well, get busy. Get busy. Second Peter. Second Peter says we can actually, Second Peter 3 says, we can actually have an effect on when Jesus comes back again. Did you know that? I bet most of you here say, well, well, nobody can know the day and the hour. We always quote that. But it's true. We don't know the day and the hour, but we can have an effect on the second coming. In fact, in 2 Peter 3, verse 8, talks about it here. He says here, verse 8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. 
The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Sorry, it won't be global warming. It won't be a nuclear bomb. Jesus is saving that all for himself. All right, so verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Speed its coming. We can actually speed the day. Jesus is waiting for two things according to this passage. He's waiting for a full church and he's waiting for a holy church. A full church and a holy church is what he's waiting for. When the last person who is, who is to be saved is fulfilled, when the, when the last person who is to be purified is purified, that's when it's done. Maybe he's waiting for you. Maybe he's waiting for somebody here. Maybe he's refining you me he's refining us and there's a battle that we need to fight and we need to win there's a way that we need to grow and we need to mature so that we're mature and, and complete so that jesus can come again maybe there's someone we're supposed to share our faith with we're supposed to show the love of jesus christ to and lead to salvation maybe you are the person who god is waiting to become a Christian so that Jesus can come again. Maybe you're that person that he's waiting for you to get saved. To, to, to say, God, I believe your son Jesus died on the cross for me. And I ask for forgiveness and repent of the sin that put him on that cross. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I give my life to Jesus Christ. Maybe he's waiting for you to, make that, to pray that prayer and give your life to him. And listen, if he's waiting for you and you're not a Christian and he's waiting for you, you better do it. Because if you keep me waiting here any longer, I will, I will hound you for eternity. When I, if I get to heaven, I find out, you know, one of you kept us waiting on this planet any longer than we needed to. I'm going to rub it in your face. A million years from now, I'm still going to be saying, ah, you kept us waiting a whole another 365 days that we needed to wait. You, you, we were missing out on this because of you? So if you don't want that, Pray today. Pray today, all right? God's kingdom, the thing that really jumps out on this whole mustard seed in this part is God's kingdom, God's purpose will be completed. The mustard seed will grow into a mature tree. It's going to happen with this church. It is happening with this church. And this includes our personal lives too. It includes us personally. God has a plan for each one of us us now (laughs) how would you like to be god and watch we do this right doing this every one of us but god still is completing his plan in our life somehow he keeps moving us toward his goal in our life he has a plan a special purpose for every one of us but maybe you're here today and you're discouraged Don't raise your hand, but maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're just tired. Maybe you say, I don't see God working in and through my life. Maybe you're even losing your faith. Or feel like you're going to lose your faith. Don't raise your hand. Matthew 17, 20 
talks about the mustard seed and faith here. And in Matthew 17, let me turn to it. He says, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will, be, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, we know Jesus isn't talking about mountains. You know, we'd be rearranging the earth all the time, right? He's talking about a spiritual mountain here. He's talking about a spiritual struggle, something we have to climb. And he's making a point to us here that the mustard seed faith, all it takes is a little bit of faith for God's purpose to be completed in our life. Because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on God. It's, it's all God. And if he wants something to happen, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of, the only question is, will we be part of it? Now, that doesn't mean it's going to happen the, the way that we always expect it to or want it to, right? We all want our ducks in a row. We all want clear, smooth sailing, don't we? I do. I pray for it all the time. <laughs> but that's usually not the spiritual ride that God gives us. It's a roller coaster. And why is it a roller coaster? You ever been on the roller coasters or the wild mouse it spins, you know, you go out, so you're coming on a curve and spins and you think you're going off? Why? Because we hang on. When it's smooth sailing, we, we just got to sit back and relax, right? But when it's a roller coaster, we hang on. We hang on to God. We depend on him. We turn to him. And his power can then work and his move and the mustard seed can grow. What he's trying to accomplish in your life can grow. And maybe you're here today and you're discouraged. You don't see how God could be working in your life or, or how he can work in the mess you've made of your life or somebody's made of your life. Maybe you're in a job that's so tedious. You're like, God, what, what am I doing here? And I hope that because of this mustard seed, in the faith of the mustard seed, we can change our focus instead of saying, why am I here to, what is God trying to do in my life here? Or who is he trying to touch through me? Maybe you're in school or college and you're like, why am I in school? I'm sick of this. Or why, do I, why am I doing college, you know? Why am, I, why am I here? Well, same thing. The question is, what is God trying to do in me here? Maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're, I use moms. Maybe you're a mom and you're with your kids and you're feeling the same way. What am I accomplishing? I, I change diapers. I cook meals. I clean the house. Does sound familiar? How many diapers, you know? Uh, ask Kim. Uh, but I've done probably half of them, I'm sure. I'm, I mean, you know, but I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, uh, but you already teenage battles, you, they, your wonderful little children become mutate into something else. They're teenagers, and you've got all these battles to fight. Or, or maybe you have a prodigal, and you say, well, did I waste all that time? Is that what I sacrificed all this sleep for and, and time for to, to, so my kid could become a prodigal? Well, did I waste this, did I waste this time? Let me share a little something. I've just finished Joan Harrison's book. 
she wrote a book, and we're going to try to get it published somehow so everybody could read it. But I'm reading Joan's book, and she, imagine this, imagine you're Joan, and you're in, totally paralyzed by these extreme allergies. You can't even leave the house, she couldn't even, can't even leave the house unless it's like freezing out, like literally freezing out. She's outside in a coat because she can't be inside, goes outside, has to go back in. It's like there's no winning. And she can't really function as a mom. She can't really, she's depending on other people to help raise her, her only son there. And she's allergic even to her husband. Think about, talk about marriage stress. <laughs> you know, I mean, think about that, right? And, and then her only child becomes a prodigal, goes off and becomes a wild man in New York City, a, pro, a prodigal. Think she had some questions? Think her faith was about ready to give way or probably did lose it? Read the book. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty wild. But you turn the page to the end, and now we get to the end, and her husband's an evangelist. He's probably off ministering. I don't even know where he's off ministering somewhere, sharing his faith thousands of people a year. Her son has started a worldwide ministry called Charity Water. I think they just went over the $100 million mark raising money to, to help people around the world. Amazing. But we're not talking about a happy ending either, though. This isn't like Friendly's where you get the happy ending Sunday, you know? It's not, this isn't, Joan's still sick. She came back for a couple years, remember? And then she got sick and had a setback. She's gone again. She's going through the same things again. As bad as ever. So it's not like, oh, everything's great for Joan now. No. She's still battling. But she's kept her faith. Roller coaster, but she's kept her faith, right? And she's seeing God work. In and through the trial. She's seeing God work in a powerful way. And God will accomplish his plan in our lives if we persevere if we pray and if we hold on to the promises by that with that sometimes it's just a mustard seed of faith we're barely hanging on but we hold on to his promises by faith and when we're praying it's very important that we stay flexible in prayer and don't tell god how to fix someone or something what would jonah have prayed Scott's been in New York for a week. Okay, God, that's enough. Bring him home. Right? I know how I tell God what to do all the time. He rarely listens to me. He ends up telling me what he's going to do, and I have to be okay with that. And it's usually a lot better than I would have picked. But, but instead of telling God how to fix someone or something, we have to say, God, what do you want? What are you doing in this situation? And then once we ask God that, then we pray in the Spirit. God, what is your will? Accomplish your will, what you're doing. I do it with all my kids all the time. I do it with you guys all the time, and I know you do it with me. We do it all the time. And when we do that, we begin to see God work in ways that we cannot see or understand. It doesn't make human sense, but we see him working in some pretty powerful ways. When someone's going through persecution, what do, what do we want to pray? God, get me out of this. Instead of praying that way, we learn to start to pray, God, use this persecution 
to reach people. Or when we're going through a trial, what do we usually pray for trials? God, take this away, right? But when we, when we learn to pray in the spirit, we're like, God, use this for your glory and complete, complete the growth process in my life or in this person's life through this trial. Don't just take it away, but complete what you're trying to do. Then take it away. <laughs> Soon. <laughs> our kids. What do we pray for our kids? Success. What do you really want for your kids? Success. They're in a sport. Let them score the winning basket, right? They're in school. Let them get an A. They're in the play. Let them get the lead in the play. You know, we, we pray for, we want, what do we really want? We want success for our kids. I don't know if you ever watched Disney Channel, but the kids who become successful on Disney Channel, follow their, follow their lives, connect the dots. I think one out of a zillion is still mildly mentally healthy, spiritually healthy. Success is like one of the worst things you could, constant success is one of the worst things you could have. Instead of praying for success for our kids, we should pray that God would bless them. God bless them. Bring them into a close relationship with you. Grow them up spiritually. And if we pray that way, how does God grow people? I'll give you a hint. It, it's painful. God is going to put him through hard times, just like he puts us through hard times. That's how he grows us. That's how he brings us close to him. That's how he matures us. That's how he separates us from the world. But it's a whole different way of thinking and praying and looking. And it takes, a, it takes the faith of a mustard seed to trust God as we ride this roller coaster. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, how is God speaking to you? The Holy Spirit is speaking to each one of us in a different way right now. What is he speaking to you about? Maybe, maybe God is calling you to plant a mustard seed in someone's heart. Maybe he wants to grow your faith in your heart, the seed in your heart in some way. Maybe you're facing a trial and you need to take hold of that mustard seed faith in an air of your life and cling to your relationship to, with God and pray in the spirit and let God work in our life the way he wants to work. While we're praying about that, I want to speak to those who have never put their faith in Jesus yet. Maybe you've been on a spiritual journey and you've reached the place where you're ready to take that step of faith, giving your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. You're ready to allow that seed to be planted in your heart and to grow into faith in your heart. You're ready to receive Jesus Christ. In John 1, it talks about believing and receiving. That to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, right where you're sitting, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you 
you can believe and receive Jesus. Just say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for anything I've done in my life, everything I've done in my life that is sin, that goes against your word, your will for my life. Please forgive me. I repent of it. I turn away from it. Forgive me. I put my faith in your son Jesus who died on the cross for me in my place who rose from the dead for me so that I could have brand new life. I put my faith in Jesus. I give him my life.